Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Legion podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the managing director of Bright Vision as well as host of this podcast. And today we will talk about B2B websites and the in and outs of high converting websites and a lot of thoughts and insights around this topic. And we will do it with a very interesting and very knowledgeable guest in this area, Andy Christina, who's co-founder and CMO at Orbit Media, a Chicago-based agency who has, during the last 18 years, provided digital strategy, websites, developments, and digital marketing services to thousands of businesses, and also an author of books and a true expert in this area. So with that very short introduction, welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thank you for having me, Jacob. I'm excited to be here. Yes, so great to have you. And you're one of the co-founders of Orbit Media. So and you've been running for ish 20 years now. So yep. how's life as an agency owner in a COVID area in Chicago these days? <laughs> it's surprisingly okay. We feel grateful every day. Uh, we have a big empty office. That's uh, I don't even turn the lights on. I'm here now, but it's kind of big and dark and cold. Sort of, It feels like office equipment storage. <laughs> it's just desks and chairs and conference rooms with no people. So everyone's remote. There's 40 of us, but we are 90% web development and our clients still need us. Uh, we're, we've been very busy and we project uh, another busy year. Um, so it's uh, I'm, I'm grateful every day for how well things are going for us here in Chicago. Awesome. Great to hear. Great to hear. Uh, so uh, that's so great. And one of the things when we researched this podcast and came across your name and invited you to the podcast, uh, that's because you have published quite a few things and a ton of content uh, around how to produce and work with efficient web presence and web pages or pillar pages or, or sales mm -hmm. pages or whatever you call these uh, mm -hmm. different things of converting pages in order to drive sales and make it successful for B2B companies, especially. So um, how come you have become an expert in that area? <laughs> <laughs> I love that we're talking about this because I frequently get asked questions about uh, adjacent topics, which I may be interested in, but have less direct experience in. This is the topic high converting, high performing B2B web development is the thing that I've, that's been the focus of my career for this whole 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we are a web development company. Uh, everything that we build needs to perform in both ways, both at attracting visitors, that's mm -hmm. often about search engine optimization, and about converting visitors and getting them to take action. That is called conversion optimization. Mm -hmm. So I've been part of the planning process for more than a thousand websites over the years. Uh, I have access to 500 analytics accounts I talk to, to clients and friends and prospects every day, all day long about this exact thing. It's eight meetings a day for 20 years on this topic. So uh, hopefully I can add a little value for the listeners. 
Absolutely, I'm sure you will. And um, so interested to, to dive into those topics. Um, <clears throat> yeah, maybe we should start a little bit on the big uh, picture here. Mm -hmm. If you would summarize a little bit of your experiences around B2B websites, what, what is the core things that make them successful from your point of view? Mm. Well, there are a lot of B2B websites that are surprisingly successful without incorporating best practices because they function as sales support tools or as confirmational. So we meet people who have very low expectations for ranking in search engines. They simply say very directly that they get their leads from referrals, they do well from word of mouth, and they're not concerned with growing the business by increasing demand and that their go-to-market strategies of referrals or cold calls is working. And that's great. I don't want to take anything away from those projects, those websites, those clients, those marketing efforts. But if we step back and consider the opportunity of building a site that appears when people search and don't yet know the brand, then the potential demand, the potential opportunity to increase traffic is enormous. Every one of our listeners right now, there is someone online searching for them as we speak. Without question, right? There's so much demand for each topic. There are so many people who need help. There's so many people who go to a search engine to try to find help that as we speak in this moment, there are definitely thousands of people looking for every B2B service, every B2B product you can imagine. So beyond just being a confirmational sales support tool, a properly planned and built website has a set of pages, each of which is indicating relevance for a, re a relevant topic, a service name, a product name. And so the entire site is sort of built with search engines in mind, built to be discovered, not by compromising the content or stuffing in keywords, but by simply aligning pages with the things that people are searching for to give the site a chance. So Google doesn't rank websites at all. It ranks web pages. And a well-planned website has many pages optimized and indicating relevance for many phrases. So that's one of the first steps is to make sure that the site is aligned with how people are trying to find it and mm. don't miss opportunities to indicate relevance and potentially rank attracting a new audience. Mm, that's great. That's so great. And uh, <clears throat> so instead of seeing as a web site, you see it as multiple web pages that that's right. individual should perform and convert and opt be optimized and analyzed. That's so great insight there. Uh, a, a challenge for many companies is, of course, to, to mix content with creativity and design, as well as, you know, optimize for, for SEO and, and mm -hmm. analytics and so forth. How do you think you should, you know, prioritize between those buckets, if you say? <laughs> no, it's important. The, uh, every website, every web page that you look at is actually a combination of several things. And it sort of takes a skilled eye to pull that apart and know what you're looking at. There is content, writing and pictures. There is the container, the design and interface and UX. And then there is the brand, mm. which is partly the messaging, the vision, the values, the logo, the colors, the typefaces, the, uh, the identity. So sites are, can be good or bad in any of those three criteria. <laughs> and when you know what you're looking at, you can kind of say like, oh, this is winning here and losing there. But generally speaking, a, a, the, there is not necessarily a need to compromise or even really prioritize 
some of these considerations of like content versus, you know, content that aligns with messaging and sales versus content that aligns with search and keywords. Because fundamentally what the visitor is looking for and what the search engine is looking for is the same, which is answers to the top questions. Mm. Does this page satisfy a visitor's information needs? If you're writing a web, I, I sometimes look at a page and it's very short and I suggest to the client that they add depth, add detail, add length, make it a better page. And sometimes I, I suggest that uh, because of search, because there is a correlation between longer pages and rankings, Wikipedia sort of shows us that. And they say, oh, but what, what would I add to this page? And the answer is quite simple. What do people ask you during sales? What objections do your, does your audience have? What are the three or five questions that people have to have answered before they'll buy from you? Simply make sure that those answers are on the page. The best page for both visitors and conversion and lead generation and search engines, ranking and keywords, are the same. They are pages that answer the top questions, satisfying visitors' information needs and go deep into the topic, emulating a sales conversation. If the pages emulate a sales conversation, answering those visitors' questions, it often is exactly what both the search engine and the visitor really are looking for. That's a great. One of the things you have written about is, is a great article about this with uh, uh, a number of things you should analyze when you set up a sales page or something where you really would like to convert. And I mean, it's probably one of the most common things to do today in, in, uh, in online uh, lead generation or online marketing where you try to convert the lead to, to become an opt-in and so forth. And, mm -hmm. or you, even if you would like to even close uh, a, a sale uh, on mm -hmm. the page as well. And you have more or less made this into an art or, or a science form, <laughs> analyze this in depth. So what are the common things you always look for when you give feedback on, on a sales page, so to say, or a conversion page? Well, the, the homepage is often one of those. Uh, one of the things that I'm looking for whenever I look at a page is first, the visitor is going to be asking themselves, am I in the right place? Hmm. So does the website immediately at a glance indicate what the company does? That's usually done in two ways. One is the header, the H1 at the top of the page. And the second is the navigation. A lot of website owners create headers that are sort of vague uh, statements about their value proposition. They sort of say things like, you know, experience excellence or pioneering a new way. Like, <laughs> my websites all the time that say these very strange, like ambiguous things right at the top where, mm. you know, you have only a split second to tell the visitor where they are mm. and they miss that opportunity by saying something that's very general, sort of tastes like water, doesn't, doesn't indicate relevance to a search engine or the visitor. So first off, does the header of the page simply state what the page is about, what the company does, what the category is or the industry you're in. If no, you have missed an opportunity to help your visitor and help the search engine. Mm. Secondly, the navigation. Uh, we have access to uh, a lot of analytics tools and we have it installed on a lot of clients. Some of these tools, uh, Hotjar, I'm thinking of Hotjar, allows you to see a heat map of how far down people scroll. I took a bunch of people's B2B homepages and took that heat map out and overlaid them, made them all semi-transparent so I could see an average of how far down visitors on B2B homepages scroll. The answer was 73% of homepage visitors don't scroll at all. 
They go straight to the navigation. So does the navigation, so it shows the importance of having descriptive navigation labels. Does your navigation say what you do or does it just say about services, blog, contact? Are your navigation labels generic to hundreds of millions of websites or do they indicate what business you are in? Descriptive navigation labels are very, very helpful to visitors. Mm-hmm. Past that, there are many elements that can help the visitor get uh, uh, be persuaded by the page. It, probably some of the credibility builders should be visual and high on the page. For example, award, you know, logos, certifications, awards you've won, clients you've worked with. That is how you are different. That makes you should, as you scan through your pages, you should ask yourself, could a brand new startup that formed yesterday say these same things? If yes, you've got a problem. <laughs> you did not differentiate. So logos of your clients or awards or certifications or security certificates or something can help. So we put those high on the page. And mm. then does the, so the page is going to now start answering questions, basically emulating that sales conversation. As I said, it's addressing objections. And whenever possible, you should add evidence to support those answers you gave, mm. either with a testimonial that's qualitative and it's stories and it's very compelling because it's human or with data. Mm. How many projects have you done? How many years have you been in business? How many clients do you have? How many projects there's, so some visit websites must speak to all types of visitors. Uh, some visitors are more affected by, uh, by stories and uh, emotion and qualitative things. Other visitors are more dry. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting ready for an RFP. They want to see some, some, some stats. So for those people, you can use numbers, but it ultimately the general structure of a high converting B2B sales page is answer, evidence, answer, evidence, answer, evidence, call to action. Mm. Those are the three primary ingredients of a high performing sales page, answers, evidence, and calls to action. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. That's great. And uh, yeah, it sounds very easy and logical <laughs> when explaining it, but I know how complex it can get <laughs> when you're trying to, to build pages. And um, talking about a compelling call to action, um, I mean, there's all kind of call to actions that's suggested in, in courses and books and, and so on. But what's your take on what really drives better conversion in regards yeah. to building a call to action? Well, one of the most helpful ways to think about the psychology of a visitor, I think, is to remember that none of our visitors and none of us ever click or tap on anything unless we have scored it favorably in that split second cost benefit analysis that we do all day long, every day. We are all doing cost benefit analysis before clicking on something. Hmm. Headlines in, in apps and social media streams and in your inbox and in social and in search results, we simply have to believe that the benefit of clicking this thing exceeds the cost of two seconds of our time. So calls to action can 
use words that manipulate the cost-benefit calculation they're doing in their mind by either increasing the perceived benefit of clicking or reducing the perceived cost of clicking. So for example, contact us is not really a call to action. It's generic label. Everyone can say that. I wouldn't call that a call to action. But if you said, uh, chat with an expert about your marketing automation needs, chat with an expert. That sounds, you know, it's, just, it's not spending money. You're just chatting. That reduces the perceived cost. Chat, chat with an expert about marketing automation. Ah, oh, that's very specific. Mm-hmm. There's a benefit to chat to clicking this because I can, I have questions about marketing automation. So chat with an expert about marketing automation is definitely a more specific. So the easy way to think of this is specificity correlates with conversion. I suggest testing or trying or just simply changing and seeing if it worked. Mm-hmm. Longer calls to action, giving yourself more opportunities using words to either make the benefit seem bigger or the cost seem smaller. Schedule it, you know, um, uh, jump on a cal- you know, uh, schedule a time within 24 hours. That's a smaller cost. I don't have to wait. I know it's just 24 hours. Mm. Or, you know, these things like, uh, you know, download the complete research study about, uh, you know, B2B lead generation. Ah, that's specific. That's a, that the benefit seems strong. I'm going to get a study. It's data-driven. It's about this specific topic. So ask yourself, just scan through your site and ask yourself, does this call to action make the benefit seem big or make the cost seem small? Because there's a split second ROI calculation happening in the mind of every visitor and you have to, you have to win that battle favorably or you don't get the click. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, and that's great. Great to hear. And <clears throat> there's so, uh, so for example, a lot of B2B companies offer content in in uh, in exchange for an opt-in so to say sure. yep um do you have any good example in mind when we've seen a, a content page with a, a sign up form or something like that that been really compelling or yeah we 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 see them all the time we test them all the time we're using landing pages that have those kinds of offers mm-hmm. uh there are it's, it's interesting, the, the types of content that people might be subscribing to get and the types of visitors that might be on these pages is so vast and so broad that it's hard to say there's like a, the right way to do it. Like, you know, you hear advice like orange buttons are the best. Like that is, there is no one rule here, right? We shouldn't be just copying everyone else. You should be really thinking deeply about your audience's intent, right? How is this audience specific to this content? How is it a fit? How is this a fit for that audience? But I would say that generally the reason why someone would click to download something is because it matches their intent in the moment. So the more you understand the source of this visitor, did they come from an, a pay-per-click ad or they come from an email, did that page align with why they clicked? <clears throat> if there's a gap there, they're not very likely to take any action because you have a lower quality visitor. There, mm. There's a mismatch between the visitor's intent and the content. Mm. And then secondly, it doesn't necessarily have to, to be a, a big upgrade to the content. Download the 60-page ebook about, it's like, wow, that sounds like homework. Do I really want a 60-page ebook? Like, are you going to, it sounds like I'm in college again. So, uh, by the way, guide, I think, is outperforming the word ebook. Anyone mm. who's publishing ebooks, I would consider cha- uh, testing the word guide instead. Mm. But also remember that people might share their email address to get a smaller, quicker, faster version. Again, the cost-benefit calculation they're doing in their mind. It might be, 
download the 10 point checklist and print it and keep it next to you as you optimize your next page. You know, there's people often want a, a shorter, people may want a shorter version of the thing, mm. an easier version, a downloadable version, a more concise version. So uh, there are webinars and guides and eBooks and white papers and case studies. And there's all kinds of things that people will, will enter their email address to, uh, to get, but try something like a template or a checklist or mm. something that has obvious utility to them. It's not just a format, but it's a format that's not, that uh, seems to suggest that it'll save them time. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Really, really good insights you're offering here. So, uh, because this is so so common problem, and a lot of marketeers is of course struggling with this. You know, optimizing mm -hmm. their content. I pages. know. Yep. Gated so content. great, great insights. And uh, how do you put that together? Together with, you know, what? There's a lot of tools out there. Uh, where you use uh, third-party landing pages, for example, which are mm -hmm. really good and quick to design and so forth, but you know, there's pros and cons and so on. What's your take on doing landing pages or sales pages in combination to your websites and how should you host them? And what's your take on that from, from an SEO perspective and optimization perspective, so to say? Sure. Well, there are my definition for a landing page is a page that has a very specific source of traffic. Mm. They came from an email, they came from an ad and a page with a very specific goal. We want them to fill out this one form. We created a one page experience for them. We removed all the normal navigation. We made this page totally focused on that one visitor with that one. We know their intent. We know what they clicked on to get here. Mm. So landing pages can be super focused. And in that way, uh, they're very testable, you know, we use tools like Unbounce to iterate these, to see what worked, to, to suggest changes, set up A-B tests. And those mm. pages are fun to make because you know so much about the visitor. Mm. The opposite of that is a homepage. A homepage is a page for which you know the least about your visitor. It's, it has all kinds of sources of traffic, visitors with all kinds of intent. People come there looking for a job. People came just looking for your phone number. People came, it's the, in a mm. lot of ways, the, the homepage is the hardest page to design because it's the page the opposite of a landing page, you know the least about this person. <clears throat> in between, you get the uh, the sales pages, which are when built well, when planned well, when optimized well, they are often entry points into the website. We must remember that the the uh, the homepage is just one of many landing pages. Mm. A site that's built well, the people will enter in all different places because all different pages are optimized. And when that visitor lands, uh, they uh, it's not a function of is it this, you know, was this page built in WordPress or Drupal or is HubSpot behind this website? They don't care. Mm. These are not success criteria. There's so much discussion about use this technology or that technology. And I appreciate that we all need to have technology behind our, you know, to serve a web page. But it's not a success criteria in that it aligns with visitors' intent. It doesn't. You could build a high converting landing page, a high converting sales page in any tool. The visitor cares much more about the content on the page, not the tool behind it, right? Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, uh, yes, we use WordPress for lots of, we build sites in WordPress and Drupal. Our marketing automation platform is ActiveCampaign. We build our landing pages in Unbounce, but, uh, and I use Google Analytics and Hotjar to measure performance. You know, I give a lot of presentations. Uh, one of the more, I gave a very popular one, but I thought it was more kind of boring a list of my everything in my MarTech stack. Okay, 
everyone wants to talk about tools. Here's, here's what I'm using. But it wasn't tactical. There wasn't like practical takeaways. It's like, here's a bunch of stuff in our Swiss Army knife. What, it's sort of one of those conference conversations that uh, everyone loves to have, but has very little correlation with ROI. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting, but great to hear. And uh, it's a big topic, this with uh, tech and platforms <laughs> it, and so on. But I totally is. get what you say that it's secondary, you know, to, to mm -hmm. what, what platform you choose. It's, it's really not the key thing to get it to perform. That's so interesting. But uh, and I think it's, it's very interesting that you have this take that content and wordings as well as design and, and optimization and so forth is, is the key things when designing and setting up, even if it's a homepage or a landing page mm -hmm. or web sales page. And um, I know you also written a book, uh, Content Chemistry, where you also outline a lot of interesting thoughts about this. Um, how, how do you see content supporting, you know, should you write content specifically in order just to drive traffic or should you go the other side or what's your, how do you see content integrate with a, with a homepage, so to say, and, and a landing page? And Sure. Well, the, because the visitor on the homepage is someone that's such a stranger, we don't know much about them. Homepages mm -hmm. are often pages where you might link to the blog or link to articles in a little section, you know, recent articles or something is farther mm -hmm. down on the homepage. I almost never would add that to a regular sales page because the goal of the sales page is to get the person to click the call to action. If they click to go to a blog post from a sales page, they're sort of going backwards, upwards through your funnel hmm. from pages designed to convert to pages mostly designed to teach. So I'm very cautious about linking from sales pages to blog posts. Conversely, you should link from every blog post to a sales page because your job is to move people downward through the funnel. Hmm. Content has strategically, uh, Content has the ability to support sales. If you create an article that answers top sales questions, you can use it in follow-up after sales meetings. That's bottom of funnel content, sales support, that's sales and marketing alignment, very, very powerful. Probably that's the first content we should all create. Mm -hmm. Above that, there's content that, that can uh, attract a relevant audience by answering important questions for people who are not yet brand aware they might be aware of your problem of their problems, but not yet aware of uh, you as a solution. So that's a way to create visibility. Mm. Those visitors don't tend to convert. That's fine. You, know, you can rank for all kinds of industry-related key phrases and become a well-known brand uh, for your content uh, without creating much demand. So I'm, I never think of it as strange that visitors, readers to blog posts, don't become leads. <laughs> that's, uh, I've got the, an the the analytics to show this. If a visitor begins their visit on a sales page, they are 50 times more likely to become a lead oh, really? than, if, than if they start their visit on a blog post. Mm. Because this visitor has commercial intent, that visitor has information intent. Mm. And intent is the key, right? Aligning our, our website, our digital property with, with their intent. But if you don't publish helpful, useful articles, you will never win. No one's ever going to link to your website. And if no one ever links to your website, you're not going to have any authority within a search engine and you're never going to rank for the very valuable phrases on your sales pages. Hmm. So it's an indirect and rarely explained in my experience, people don't talk about this much, but if you want your sales page to rank for a valuable key phrase, you need to have links to your site. 
if you want links to your site, you need to have something worthy of being linked to. That's usually articles. So there's an indirect benefit from content, which is very, very powerful. If you publish helpful, useful articles that other bloggers and journalists find and, and it supports what they're doing and they link to it, that improves the authority of your entire website, making every page more likely to rank. And that's how eventually your sales pages will rank for the very valuable money phrases. If you work backwards from the goal of, I want organic leads every day, you end up concluding that you sort of have to publish helpful, useful articles, ideally research posts, mm. um, or else uh, you'll never have the authority to compete for those, the most valuable key phrases. Mm. Interesting. And what's your um, just give and take on how, how long should a research post or, or you know, in-depth post that, that gets some authority or some traction, how long should it be, do you say? Uh, we have a, we did a research piece uh, years ago and have repeated it every year since. So for the last seven years, I've done a survey of a thousand bloggers. Mm -hmm. we're, we're known for this. And every year we ask the, the bloggers, how long is your average post? Uh, and in that, uh, and then we average all of their answers and we find that every year articles get longer. It's starting to level off now. I'm looking for the, uh, the data here. Okay. The average blog post is currently 1,269 words. Very long. <laughs> that's pretty, yeah. that's a, that's a long article. Uh, having said that, um, I don't personally, I don't count words on my articles unless I'm curious once in a while before it goes live, I might you know, select and then right click and see the word count. But uh, I, I've been told that my average article has more than 2000 words. My goal is not to get to a, a length. It is to answer the a question in detail, to be the best page on the internet for the topic. Mm. That sounds cute. I'm being, I'm being deadly serious. I would never write an article without making at least, you know, a sincere attempt at making it the best page on that topic. Yeah. So that's inevitably going to be, you know, 1,500, 2,000, maybe 3,000 words sometimes. But uh, I, that's my strategy. I'm going for quality over quantity. I only write one article every two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, I send one email every two weeks. And uh, people who subscribe are looking for that. And, and anyone who doesn't want that doesn't, <laughs> probably doesn't visit. And that's fine. Yeah. And how's that going? Do you, um, how long time do you? see it takes for one of these quite large blog posts to start generating organic traffic and leads? Well, many of them don't at all. Only mm. around half of my articles are optimized for search because not every topic is something people search for. Mm. There's many things that you might want to write. For example, the sales support articles, the things that help the salespeople close deals mm. that aren't, a, a, aren't keyword relevant. And that's fine. Only maybe half of these are. So the ones that are, it, it's really a function of how competitive is that key phrase. If my site is less authoritative than the other pages that rank for that phrase, it's, it may take me months or years before I really see any visibility in search. If that article, if, if my website is more than or as authoritative as the other pages that rank, it could be within a week and a half. Mm. So is there a lot of competition or a little? I wrote an article two week, uh, a month ago about personal SEO, how to dominate search results or control search results when people search for your name. Uh, that ranked uh, almost immediately. I was surprised. I wrote another article about uh, recently about social, how to track social media using Google Analytics. 
honestly, Jacob, I don't think I'll ever rank for that phrase. And that's fine. It's like they're massive players at the top. If it attracts links, though, is actually a, almost a separate question. If you want to build links to an article or any page, it's the most direct way to do that is to simply write for lots of other websites. Mm. Go write guest posts. And if you're a young brand or a new site, probably most of your content should be guest posts. Write for everyone else. Mm. Maybe make 75% of your articles guest, uh, you know, bylined articles and guest contributions because you can refer back to your site in the author bio. You can refer back to some research piece you did in the con in the content itself. Mm. I highly recommend writing for everybody um, until your site becomes quite authoritative and then you'll find people are just pitching you every day and now you're on the other side publishing guest posts. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's great. Great tip and uh, so many insights there. Andy, I know you're a busy guy running an agency uh, <laughs> beside visiting our podcast here. So uh, I won't hold you more but it's so interesting. We could probably go on for quite a while here and diving into these topics. But um, before you go, um, people who want to know more about you and your content and all your insights, uh, where can we send them, Andy? Well, as I said, every two weeks, I write an article at orbitmedia.com. So if you're interested in a detailed how-to, some you know analytics or search optimization article, I write there. Yeah. Uh, and probably my best network is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So anyone who, any listener here is of course, welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I have changed LinkedIn now. So, uh, there's a little switch inside. You can, you, anyone can do this, but right now it says follow the blue button says follow, skip that, click the more button next to it. And you can find the connect. You, you don't need to, if you want to connect with me, just go ahead. It's an extra click, but just connect with me. Obviously anyone's welcome to do that. Mm -hmm. I have it set to follow right now. Uh, for other marketing reasons, uh, which we don't need to get into now, but yeah, find me on LinkedIn and, and uh, you can read my content on the blog. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Andy. It was great to talk to you and I've learned a lot and I'm sure everybody who listening have done as well. So thank you so much. And I wish you all the best with uh, Orbit Media and uh, looking forward to talk to you again in the future. Thank you, Jacob. This was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.